City Limits. Brought to us by the People's Committee for Melbourne every Wednesday at 9am. City Limits is Melbourne's only hour devoted to our urban environment. To transport and planning and housing issues. To privatisations and our utility services. To building and or maintaining a sense of community. 855 on the AM band, if we can hear it through the noise and find it through the smog. City City Limits. Limits. Oh, we're going to do it again then. (laughs) That noise, in fact, summarises the program. But it was, in fact, meant to be uh, a happy birthday wish to uh, someone in the studio. Happy birthday, Kevin. Happy birthday Kevin. Thank you, John. We got John. It was John McPherson, of course. I mean, just the first Wednesday of the month. You had private... Transfer problems this morning. <laughs> I did, I did. In fact, also being the sort of technical whiz I am, I had to put air in the tyre and I managed to let it all out. Oh. Um, um. So, anyway, in the course of all that, I ended up running late, yes, as you could tell. <laughs> Here I am, puffing. <laughs> Just in time. Flat, flat to the boards all the way from. Brunswick to here, so here we are. And uh, that was John McPherson. It was also Eugenia Jolchenko, Jolchenko making that other noise over there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and at the moment we've got uh, Gab Reed pressing buttons for us. Gab, but uh, Andy's supposed to. I don't know what's happened to Andy. And uh, there we are. But it's the first Wednesday of the month, as I was about to say, and it's uh, therefore it is. Um, mm. It is Transport Day, John McPherson. John McPherson, of course, we. We sometimes overlook saying this. He's a former vice president of the public transport users. He's been an advisor to government at various times who totally ignored him on every occasion. (laughs) Uh, And uh, so it's... I'm not sure I want that said more more, more frequently. (laughs) No, I I like saying it, John. I enjoy saying that. (laughs) You would. (laughs) That's right. So there you are. Um, And as I say, Transport Day and there's other things on to talk about. And we're actually having an interview today. Yes, and Rachel now... Rachel Linsky. That's right. Now, tell us about that, John. Well, she's she's part of the um, FOE and PTO-sponsored um, transport mm-hmm. campaign that's leading up to the next election. Yep. And it's about... It's about I'll pause and tea while you're explaining Asking people what do they want out of their public transport, I think, is one of the main themes. But Rachel will tell us more, I'm sure. Mm, sounds fascinating. Yes, yes. She spoke at a meeting. I went to that meeting that we publicised at Brunswick Town Hall a couple of weeks ago... About the northwest or the Westgate Tunnel. Yep. And uh, she spoke at that meeting uh, as well about that, right. so we can yeah, certainly discuss yeah, that issue yeah. with her. Yeah. Um, hang on, I've got pouring tea at a great rate. Yes, we're pouring tea at a great rate. Uh, okay, so that's this morning's program. It's transport. There's heaps happening in transport all over the place, John, as you know. <laughs> Do you want a cup of tea, Gab, by the way? Oh, you've got something going here, okay. Rejecting our tea as usual. Uh, I just want to. Uh, I just, speaking of Gab, uh, it does lead into what I'm about to say. Um, the Saturday paper, which we share every week, um, it, you get the feeling, don't you, that it probably hasn't got a lot of time for Peter Dutton. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you do, don't you? Because I raise that because tonight, uh, in fact, I put off having, uh, I was going to say an occasion, but it was going to be birthday drinks with some people. We put them off till Friday night because I wanted to go and hear one of the Cuban Five, a bloke called Gonzales. The Cuban Five were the five, of course, Cubans who were... Uh, locked up in America for many, many years because they went to America to work out who was trying to assassinate Cubans from from uh, Florida, from Miami. Oh, okay. um, and they got, uh, they got charged by the Americans and treated dreadfully in the time they were in jail. 
And one of them was scheduled to speak tonight, has been publicised for some time, but at the last minute, the aforementioned Peter Dutton has cancelled his will, won't, won't give him a visa. So oh. the meeting, I think the meeting's going ahead because it was going to be the Cuban meeting of the month anyway, but um, but certainly the speaker who was going to be there won't be there because uh, he right. can't get a so visa. we know, mm. we know, um, we know the... Um, Point of view Dutton's taking. Yeah. He's saving all the visas for white South African farmers, yeah. remember? I was about to say, if it, if it had been a white South South African, uh, a white South African five who'd been jailed, then they'd certainly be here. Mm. Absolutely. I don't, you know, and where, where is this country going? You can see where it's being steered by people like Dutton. Yep. So that's, uh, that's great news that he's just refused yep. the visa for one of the S- Cuban sick, five. Sick uh, but then again, the, uh, one of his favourite papers, I'm sure, the Herald Sun. Uh, mm-hmm. We get our usual start with the Herald Sun. Uh, just, just a headline. I mean, you don't need more than the headline. Um, uh, it's about um, so. It's about uh, welfare recipients going to be cut off if they you know, fail to do certain things. And the Herald Sun headline was it's a classic: "Bludgers on notice." Isn't that? Well, doesn't that say it all? Bludgers on oh, notice. Yes, yes. Users and drunks lose excuse to cheat system. Oh. Who'd want to cheat the system for the amount of money they get, for God's oh, sake? Anyway, bludge, they're all bludgers on welfare, apparently, except those like Rupert Murdoch who accept corporate welfare, and that's different. <laughs> and don't pay any tax. That's, well, that's part of the corporate welfare. Yes. Excellent unbiased reporting on any count. Oh, well, it always is. Mm. No, but you can always rely on it. And I thought just to keep up with the papers and their themes... Um, the last week we pointed, when we talked to John Passant, we pointed out that the night before they'd withdrawn the bill to give massive tax cuts to the filthy rich, but they'll bring it back in the next session, and I'm sure yep, they'll get it yep. through with the next session because yep, yep. the working class can certainly rely on a bloke like Darren Hinch. But um, the next, but this week they've already started because we kept quoting for weeks the Financial Review day after day, headline after headline, saying it's the only what that's going to save this country. It's the panacea to all our ills. Oh, the, um, the business tax, the tax cut. cut. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, yesterday the, the editorial was it's high time to revive the tax reform effort. So here we go again, team. Here we go again. Jolly good. Yeah, that's right. Um, so um, they're at it again. Uh, the other one I thought, one I thought worth mentioning in the with our favourite business people, um, Jerry Harvey of Harvey Norman, who's one of my very favourite people actually. He's, he's a lovely bloke. Lovely he's, a, bloke. he's a good complainer. He whines, and, oh. whines and complains for the for the country. Really, he mostly complains if the government doesn't give him the money he wants. But anyway. Yeah. Jerry, um, and there was a, at the time, you might, I don't know if you remember, but the a number of shareholders were quite upset because he he spent thirty four million um, to buy a, almost half stake in a in a dairy farm called Kumbuna in twenty fifteen, and the investors said, "Well, no, we're a retail company, and if you want to invest, do use your own money." But he actually used a Harvey Norman subsidiary, so it was their oh. shareholders' money. And it's now gone into receivership and there's massive losses involved. And um, some people are suggesting that, um, you know, Jerry should foot the bill himself, but the shareholders are going to have to uh, foot it, apparently. <laughs> um, and the Shareholders Association, another group, of course, with whom we, we tend to have a great rapport. Yeah. yeah, but uh, he said this is a company which is a retailer. It's not their core business. If the chairman wants to make a personal investment, that's fine. That's his choice. Um, and you expect well, it some. It sounds like he's playing with a public company as if it's his own private company. It does sound that way. And he said, in fact, um, 
he said it again demonstrated that an investment in Harvey Norman was an investment in Jerry Harvey. Right. <laughs> and it may well go down the drain. <laughs> so there you are. Did you have anything you wanted to say about the sorting about all this stuff? I'm raving on here. No, no, no. no okay. Feel free, Kevin. Right, I'm just uh, raving. <laughs> You've got on. a head of steam up, we can got tell. You've got more, a very chunky pile in more, front of me today. <laughs> more air going than my tyre had for a while this morning, let me tell you that. Um, the. Uh, Oh, this is one I found fascinating because Commonwealth Bank of Australia says the Productivity Commission's attempt to lift competition in the banking sector may expose Australia to the risk of a deeper recession come the next economic downturn because it could dilute the strength and stability of the financial system. <laughs> Bullshit. Yeah, okay, okay. Um, and um, but the Pro- Productivity Commission, the the banks say they've got it all wrong. They, their views on competition are flawed. Now this is interesting because when it affects them, they decided the Productivity Commission is wrong. Yeah, but yeah. but uh, when it's had reports previously about workers and wages and, and et cetera, et cetera, they always in fact quote them to argue what they want to argue against unions and workers. Well, of and, uh, they, do. yep. Um, yep. they don't say that that might also be flawed. Well, I thought mm-hmm. the I thought the argument went that if the big banks um, were given all this um, leeway, the idea was that they wouldn't try and screw the last penny out of the little man, because because they were going to look after the welfare of the whole nation. That's what they're there for. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Yes, yes, that's right. Just like the big businesses, which that's is why right. they need the tax cuts, and that's, right? And that's why yeah. you know that's yes. why we had exactly. that's why we had this four pillars policy of four big banks that the they would always be able to ride through any any downturn and and look after the economy in general and um, you know hmm. have our best interests at heart. That's right, and they wouldn't and and for for the on that basis they wouldn't try and screw the little man for the last penny. But no, as, we, or as we've been hearing in the banking royal commission, which was reluctantly put in place by the uh, conservative government. <laughs> They are screwing yeah. everybody. That's right. <laughs> well, that's uh, that's what they're there for. Well, apparently uh, that's what they're there for. So, <laughs> I don't know. Be good to get rid of them, as as um, Humphrey McQueen keeps pointing out. The banks, in fact, are, are the are the base of capitalism. If they weren't there, you couldn't have capitalism as it is. So, mm, mm. It's, it might be worth uh, thinking about. Um, <laughs> um, I suppose, by the way, you've been spent the last week, John. I know you've been busy, and when I rang the other night, you were having a you were knocking off a bottle of uh, of malt. Um, <laughs> Not on my own, I have to say. <laughs> but anyway, not a whole uh, bottle. But I, I thought I thought probably at the time you would have been sitting back reading Pauline in her own words. Oh, oh. Um, no, well, I'm go- I'm waiting for the tape to come out where, where Tony Abbott reads it. Okay. <laughs> well, it's, it's one of the great literary tomes of all time. It'll be good on cassette. But it, I, I, I just thought of something you know she might have written. But it says it's actually of speeches and interviews with her, right. um, <laughs> and written with a with a former journalist. Heavily well, edited. Well, if it's speeches and interviews, I mean you wouldn't know. Understand a word? No, you? <laughs> you'd need a sort of you'd need a sort of two one page of Pauline, one page. Yeah, that's right. Interpretation. <laughs> what did she actually say? <laughs> but but she's a lot. She 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 aligns herself with um, some of the great people of this world, and so it's good to see. Oh, good. Um, she praised Abbott. This is where everyone yes. knows Abbott launched the book. Yes. She praised his leadership and his response to being toppled by Malcolm Turnbull. It's a clear in I won't put on her voice. It's a clear indication that we have stuck with what we believe in to work for the Australian people. I think that now listen to this for arrogance. I think that like Nelson Mandela did mm. after 28 years in prison, he forgave and he forgot. And I think that's what we need to do. Oh. Oh. 
It's what's un- the um, what's the image that's accompanying that article? Kissing each other, isn't it? It Wonderful. looks like they're pashing. But she yeah. seems to be saying that she was uh, um, the Mandela of Australia. That's what she's saying, I think. Yeah. Wow. Yes. Yes. Oh, poor Amy. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Even for you, a bit of a stretch, love. <laughs> And, and, of course, Abbott said very nice things about the contributions she's making, etc. Right, et cetera, right. Something. And, of course, how, only a few years ago, she hated that man, didn't she? Hated That's right. He put her in jail, according mm-hmm. to him. That's right. Anyway, yeah. uh, and, of course, over the weekend, we've had that awful situation at the Gaza border where um, yes. 15 people were killed and lots of others injured. And um, Israel's having the audacity in this case to say that uh, they did it themselves. They, um, that yep. Hamas actually puts them there so they can get killed. Yep. Uh, when all they're doing is, in fact, uh, attempting mm. to, uh, saying, we want to go back to our homes, you stole off us in mm. 1948. Mm. Uh, and they're saying, well, you, if they crossed the border, it could have been worse, etc., etc. And, of course, the border isn't really a border because over the border... People are still controlled by Palestinian military. So. Mm. By uh, but, Israeli military. Oh, Israeli military, also. yes, that's right. Israeli military. So, um, but that's another, just a dreadful disaster. And uh, oh. oh, Rachel's here. Oh, good, okay. Well, look, let's... Well, let's, let's have um, a little break. Let's have a little break and let Major come in because we've got lots to talk about. Okay, we're back on air, and uh, John, you can introduce you, take Rachel up. Rachel Linsky's <laughs> here from Friends of the Earth. Rachel Linsky's here from the... What are you actually calling the campaign? Oh, there we go. Get so, on board. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Friends of the Earth has launched a new Sustainable Cities um, initiative, so they've obviously over the years done a lot of work around climate change and environmental issues and around Victoria, and, yeah, in the last year or so starting to look at actually what's happening here in our city and <laughs> how sustainable is it and what kind of issues do we need to tackle, uh, transport being one of the big ones around, you know, a rising source of greenhouse gas emissions, mm. contributing to climate change and and then just the everyday congestion. <laughs> Anyone mm. here who's tried to jump on those roads has <laughs> experienced that. Mm-hmm. Rachel, before we get on to the broader aspects of transport, two weeks ago I heard you speak, I was at Brunswick Town Hall when you spoke at the... Um, Westgate Tunnel um, meeting, among many speakers that night, and uh, and uh, since then I've noticed because the minister then went back into Parliament and virtually changed overnight the planning process to try and get it through. But the minister argues that in fact it's great for Melbourne, and in fact most everyone in the Western suburbs supports it. Do you do you go along with that? As far as uh, the community groups that I've been talking to, there's um, yeah a lot of concerns, a lot of critiques, and a, a lot of questions around if it really will provide that solution, you know, they're really looking at tackling the, the freight that, you know, currently exists in those suburban residential streets, um, needing to tackle that as an issue. And, yeah, the ongoing more people, more cars, congestion. Um, and I think in many ways, yeah, it doesn't actually address those issues. It's it's creating um, a mega road that will encourage more cars to more people to get in their cars and more cars to get on the road. So you still end up with the same congestion that we've, we're already experiencing, um, and that doesn't actually help address the freight issues because then those trucks are just stuck in the traffic with everyone else, um, not actually getting to their destination, um, increasing costs to those um, you know operators. So that actually probably isn't the best solution for them. Are there other ways that they could more efficiently? You know, quickly and um, you know, cost effectively, be be going about their business. So I think if we want to talk about 
if we talk about that problem, then we need to talk about, well, what are the different solutions? Um, a road might be one of them, but it's this current road is um, going to have um, a lot of other unintended, you know, mm. or we should mention for people who aren't aware, this road, in fact, was put up by Transurban, the toll yes. company, to the government who bought it. But it, it means Transurban make heaps of money out of it. Indeed. And whether, in fact, it's good for uh, everyone else except Transurban needs to be questioned, I suppose. <laughs> Indeed, yeah. You know, their motivation is to make money as opposed mm. to actually fix the problems. So, so is this one of the projects you're tackling with your Get On Board? Yeah, so we really initiative? kind of got involved in um, meeting that community and Melbourne at the moment's got a bunch of mega roads all across the city on the table, um, up in the northeast, um, projects, yeah, all across the city. So um, this is kind of a response to that and saying, well, if we're saying no to these projects, if we don't think that these are the solution, then what do we do? We have to have other solutions and other ideas, and that's where um, our community-powered transport plan, get on boards, um, come into play. It's got some key kind of pillars to it, but it's a... Um, it's a tool that different um, communities can use that's flexible enough that they can, you know, um, make it specific to their local area about what kind of solutions do they need, you know. Is it improvements to the bus or is it an you know, extension of a rail line or, you know, different communities have different needs and so how can we all work together and create a, um, you know, have our voice all kind of raised together but also have the flexibility to make it actually work for those communities. So, So that's kind of the... Um, yeah, tool that we're using this year. Yeah, great. What do you What do you mean exactly by tool? Is it like a, a methodology to meet with the community or something like that? Yeah, exactly. It's a it's a kind of um, a starting point to go out there and have those conversations and to have that kind of community <laughs> engagement and um, consultation is often thrown around as a real kind of buzzword, but very often that consultation kind of comes already, you know, with an intended outcome already predetermined. Mm-hmm. And so, how can we? Um, yeah, not do that. Go out there and actually genuinely listen and, and talk about what those solutions are and then help those communities make them happen, you know, get that political um, power that's needed mm. to, to make those asks and make them happen. 2018 being an election year is obviously an ideal time to be having those conversations and getting things on the political agenda. So, so yeah, we're working with um, different communities and different groups to, to see how they can adapt it to their local area and um, start having those conversations with their neighbours and their, you know, everyone in their community to to find those solutions. Yeah. So do you um, do you sort of approach local government or? Yeah, obviously local government has a um, has a big role to be playing in in terms of lots of these solutions around, mm. um, you know, network improvements for um, buses and um, you mm. know bike, mm. you know, walking infrastructure, things like that. So they're obviously an integral part to have um, as part of. Uh, yeah, what we're asking. Um, but, yeah, we know that they'll they'll listen, you know, to their mm, communities. So mm. so it's about getting enough people from that area to be to be making those the, the, asks. The trick may be getting getting the, the state government to listen to local government <laughs> just, because local go- – oh, sorry, state government has a tendency just to impose things yeah. on local government and uh, then local government um, um, is often meant to sell it to the community. Things like that happen, but but mm. but but seeing the process work in reverse mm. yeah. would be yeah. very yeah. interesting. So, yeah. so you're proposing a bottom up strategy rather than yeah, a top down one that mm. John's describing. Yeah, very much grassroots. Yeah. yeah okay. 
And where? How, how are you going? Because <laughs> 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 the election isn't that far away. What are we looking? Probably November for an election. Well, it is yeah. November. It's got a set. It's date. got a set November date. November twenty fourth. Yes. Yep. Yes. Yep. Yeah, so yeah, we've got hundreds of people signed up um, and starting to build, um, yeah, communities not just out in the West but all over Melbourne. Mm-hmm. Um, um, there's obviously options as well to um, reactivate those communities that were really um, active around the East-West link. Um, going into this election, sure, yeah. the Liberal um, government has committed to, to bringing that project back. So how can we make sure that those people are tapped into a broader network of um yeah, making sure that there are other um, conversations happening so that that doesn't get um, put back on the table. Um, and, and yeah, as um, Kevin mentioned, you know, talking to different communities, the Moorland community um, had a public meeting and talking about how can we have that conversation out there and um, up in, you know, the northeast, up in Rosanna and um, Heidelberg and places like that, you know, how can mm, we start mm. um, tackling... <laughs> You know the same, the congestion and the um, and the freight on those local streets. How can we, yeah, build solutions so that we can protect those local, you know, residents and the green space that they've got up there? Well, in fact, um, the Infrastructure Australia a couple of weeks ago came out with its priority list for mm. infrastructure, mm-hmm. and uh, the Herald Sun headline was "East West Link Best," and it went on about how that, which it's been saying ever since, of course, that the West East West Link has to go. But if you look at the actual list and priority list, it had high priority projects and priority projects. It wasn't in either of those. It was mm. Uh, mm. way down the list somewhere. Mm. Yeah. Um, the only one in Victoria in the high priority, in fact, was an outer ring road, which we might think is not not essential either. But um, <laughs> but the East West Link, even though the Herald Sun gave the impression that it was the mm. highest priority mm. of all infrastructure, yet it's really way down the list. Mm. I guess that's what happens when you have yeah media trying to sell newspapers. <laughs> <laughs> or trying to convince people of something they, yeah. they actually want and most mates who want to build it. Um, I, think, I think the main thing that I noticed um, through their, their list was this the kind of specifics around their roads and and that they had a lot of specific projects that they were kind of listing. And they also acknowledged that public transport, you know, is also part of the mix, but it wasn't about the specifics. It was saying generally, yes, we need public transport, but we won't actually... Rachel, Mm. Rachel, for years, the RACV, Vic Roads, all say they're committed to public transport, Mm. but we have to build this little bit of road first. Mm -hmm. Just one more little bit of road and then we'll get to the public transport. So what, what kind of ideas are you seeing come up again and again in the community meetings you're going to? What do people want? Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of people, yeah, know that they want something different. Um, and I think that's the tricky thing and that they don't necessarily like know what those specific solutions are. Um, and that's where actually a really important other piece of the puzzle is bringing those academics and, and bringing, you know, experts in, in the transport kind of field. Um, and we have a lot of great resources here in Melbourne from, um, all of our educational institutions from the University of Melbourne and RMIT mm. over at Vic Uni. Um, so it's, it's it's like people not, are not aware of the choices that are available. Is that it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, or they don't know yet, like what rail you know could be proposed or you know implemented there, or or what um, changes to a bus route how that could actually play out in reality. Or mm. um, yeah. So it, and then I think in a lot of cases um, with walking and cycling infrastructure, it's like there's just lots of missing links. It's it's not that stuff doesn't exist. It's just how do we connect it all up so that mm. people can actually use it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, that's certainly true of, say, things like bike net- networks and things like that. that yeah. That so often you'll see a bit of bike lane along a road and then it just stops <laughs> because it's, because the Vic Road just found it too awkward to, um, <laughs> too tricky, to extend yeah. it through an intersection and mm. things like that. Well, yeah. I use the uphill bike path quite a lot and there's points, particularly as you're getting up to Coburg and beyond, where mm. you have to go onto the road. It, the road yeah. actually is the bike path, so it's uh, yeah. not a lot of help. Not even, not even defined? Mm. Not even defined. Oh, well, it is. I mean, it points to that, but it, mm. and then it, sometimes it picks up a path again further along yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah well uh, um there's i mean there's things that need to be done at the sort of big level you know like maybe extending the rail system and then maybe there's things that need to be done with bus networks yeah and then there's then there's sort of active trans walking and and um, cycling and things like that i, yeah. I, I imagine really there's things that need to be done at all three yeah. Three levels, or if not more. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, yeah. We're catching up with kind of a backlog of you mm. know decades of, of not really doing much, and and now population's kind of at that critical. Yeah. Uh, you know, Melbourne's at that critical point of apparently going to have heaps more population growth, and we still mm. haven't caught up with what we've already got. So, how are we going to yeah start planning for that, and you know, building the stuff that we need <laughs> to move everyone around? Well, we're sort of starting to become. You know, a city of the scale of, you know, the Londons and things like that. Um, although we haven't got the density, density of say London. Mm. But if you look at the the network of, say, rail-based public transport in London, it's much more extensive and, and dense than mm. what we've got. Yeah, and that's yes. the that's the challenge often mm. with public transport, right? So people would argue that you can't invest in transport infrastructure until the city becomes mm. more dense. But then the city doesn't become more dense because people can't get mm. from A to B very easily and therefore mm. everyone wants to live in the inner city. So it strikes yeah. me as a bit of a chicken and egg scenario, <laughs> right? Well, in that case, we've, we've lost out both on the egg and the chicken. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it comes back. I mean, you're, you're, you're called the um, Sustainable Cities Organiser, aren't you? Coordinator or whatever. Yes, yeah. Um, and, of course, population does come into it. We're talking now all the time about increasing population by various, you know, low, huge amounts. And so in transport planning, from your point of view, that has to be part of what you consider, surely, the, the massive population and how you handle that. Yeah, I think, yeah, it brings up a lot of other, um, yeah, intersections with other areas, you know, about yeah. how, what's our land use, what does that look like, you know, how are we, where do we live and where do we work and how does yeah. that relate to and, each and other? And should we, in fact, be trying to control that population growth in the first place, of course, that all those things come into it. I think that we, yeah, ha- have to accept that people will be living here in the future and already there are a lot of people living here and need to move around and mm. so yeah working out how we can best um yeah tackle that and move people around efficiently mm. and how do you how do you go about presenting uh, options to people so um uh, do you we're get academics to come and speak at meetings or we're still kind of figuring that out <laughs> I'll be honest um yeah it's pretty new and we're, we're just kind of figuring yeah. it out um it's a big challenge yeah and and yeah I think people are often um yeah disillusioned by these kind of um performative kind of like consultations that they've had before and mm. so are looking for you know we need actually something deeper to to actually engage people in so mm. we're still trying to work that out um if people have ideas then please get in touch (laughs) (laughs) yeah it must be hard because what you're trying to do is almost like a cultural shift away from this really car-centric culture that australia always has been to something much more public transport focused indeed on on that yeah Yeah, go 
on that note, if people do want to get involved, <laughs> I'll just let you know that um, we, we do meet every week at Friends of the Earth on Monday evenings at six o'clock. So you'll see us um, at Friends of the Earth at six o'clock. So please come and get involved. Um, there's lots of work to be done. <laughs> and Friends of the Earth in Smith Street. At- oh, yes, yeah, sorry. 312 Smith Street, Collingwood. Very close to the Johnson Street intersection? Yes, yeah. So you've got trams and buses very close? <laughs> Indeed, we do. <laughs> yeah, don't drive your car. A 10 minute walk, yeah. And the Smith Street bike path right past the door. <laughs> <laughs> that famous uh, Smith Street bike path. If there was such a thing as a Smith Street bike path. Speaking of, Ross Gittins in The Age a week or two ago had an article about uh, the fact that uh, big business wants population growth because it provides jobs and you can get cheaper labour, etc. So it's good for business to encourage a higher population and bring people in, etc. But he also argues that the same people are the ones who advocate smaller government. Mm. And he says you can't have both. If you're going to have more people, the government has to spend on infrastructure, including transport, and he claims Mm. the increasing congestion, etc., um, is caused by these these factors that um, business is trying to stop government spending, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, it's interesting, interesting. Yeah. yeah, I didn't catch that one, but yeah, certainly um, an interesting consideration. Mm. Well, well, there's an argument that that um, the only thing that's really giving Australia economic growth is is the rising Im- in, in immigration, mm-hmm. and and that in fact that's stimulating the size of the domestic market. But we're not actually growing ahead of what you'd expect mm. to get from from the extra people coming in. Mm. So we're not really doing all that impressively with economic growth. Mm. Um, although, obviously, as, as Ross Gittin says, the big companies are quite happy because they are getting a bigger market mm. and therefore yeah. the, the potential for making more profits. But it doesn't mean that it doesn't mean that life for, for people in Australia is getting any better. Yeah, it doesn't mean we're actually creating yeah, mm. much. Sort of it's it's really, you, yeah. you could argue it's, it is an artificial way to, to stimulate more growth. And then with all, all the environmental problems we've got piling, piling up, um, is, it a, is, it a good, is it a good thing to be doing? Um, but as, and as Kevin says, as, as Ross also points out, that, that the, these big companies are the ones restraining government from um, from spending spending more on the infrastructure and the services that people need. It's a bit that, of a that last point's a good one because what mm. people need, like they're prepared to spend money mm. on the tunnel that Transurban promotes, mm. um, and and further extensions to the Monash Freeway, etc. At the mm. moment, which are all part of what Transurban wants, mm. Mm. but it's what people need is not being spent on one issues. Mm. Yeah, which is schools, hospitals. <laughs> Um, you know, other local facilities, I suppose. Public transport, yeah. <laughs> or, tra- or or transport that is is based around more than getting trucks trucks sufficiently from the factories to the port. Yeah, yeah. I mean, stopping immigration in order to solve our public transport problems seems to be <laughs> a bit ridiculous mm. in my mind. Yeah. That's mm. certainly what Tony Abbott would propose. Yeah, well, that's right. That's 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 start to sound like Tony Abbott. And um, and because we have such a you know good standard of living, you know, uh, should we, in all conscience, be um, reducing immigration? Well, the answer probably mm. is no. At least I think it'd be no in this room here. Well, we're, we're reducing it a little bit by using Nauru and Manus Island for oh, some of them. But, yes, uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, some of those but, horrible, yeah. horrible things. They're the ones who should be let in. But mm. uh, that's the way it goes. So we yeah. we possibly we possibly got the sort of uh, um, economic system that you know does not want to spend on the um, the needs of ordinary ordinary folk, 
Um, and that means that it's going to be very hard to get the um, get governments to spend properly on on things like um, public transport, bike paths, um, things like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And and as you were saying, like the um, we've created this whole culture now where um, for at least a generation or two we've just had car centric cities and mm, mm. and built Australia as um, a, a real car kind of identity almost. Um, that yeah that requires a lot to kind of undo that narrative. Um, Yet ironically, mm. the last, at least the last possibly 20 years, the the um, the number of young people taking, yeah. taking up driving and things like that has actually been on a bit decline. of a decline. Yeah. Which is, of Despite course... Despite all of this. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm. Which is actually, of course, concerned <laughs> <laughs> the part of the economy that's... Um, that's um, car-based, and that's quite a large yeah. part, of, part of the economy. Well, Paddy well, Moriarty at Monash says he's for a number of years now that people have been moving less in cars than they used to, mm. but because there's more people, there's more car yeah. use because yeah. it grows, yeah. but nonetheless, individually, people yes. are using cars. Yes. Yes. Mm. I mean, it's a complex problem, like we were saying before, because um, uh, the majority of Australians live in suburbs, and how are you ever going to live in a suburb without a car? So it's almost like we need to mm. change our housing Typologies at the same time as changing yeah. our transport forms to get anywhere with this. Well, particularly in Melbourne, we seem to have great trouble putting in decent bus services into all the suburbs. Indeed, um, yeah. it it seems to take uh, twenty or thirty years after a suburb's settled before before the government gets around to putting in buses. Uh, and by then, you've got people, yeah, who've lived there mm. and who have yeah become car. used to totally um, car bus, and reliant yeah. on their car. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and even where they've got them, seeing a bus is like looking for a rare species. Well, that's right. That's what I meant when I said decent <laughs> bus yeah, services. So yeah. The services that are provided in the end are are, are really um, basic, very very basic. Um, it'll be uh, it'll be interesting to see how the um, housing affordability crisis affects all this. Because imagine if if young people stop being able to afford a house in the outer suburbs, maybe you know maybe we'll see a few less cars on the street. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that also raises a problem. There was a reported last week or week before about the fact that large, I think, more, well, more than half the um, the deaths in road accidents are happening in cars that are more than ten years old. Mm. Uh, and if you're forcing poorer people into the outer suburbs, then they're going to they're the ones who are going to end up with those sort of cars, I imagine, mm-hmm. and be on the road more because they've got no other alternative. And it's, so the you know the ultimate solution is to provide viable public transport wherever people live, so they mm. don't need mm. it. Indeed, anymore. yeah, mm. it becomes a real yeah equity issue. Yeah, like what yeah. kind of city are we creating where there's kind of this nice livable inner city public transport connections jobs accessibility mm-hmm. recreational mm. you know nice green spaces and then you have the rest of melbourne where most people actually live out in the suburbs you know in mm. very car reliant suburbs and i don't know about you but that's not the city that i want to um yeah. be creating with these this divide so <laughs> that was my neck the big, <laughs> so was the big question actually <laughs> the big question rachel and you just led into it is as sustainable cities um, coordinator, co- 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 you're called, aren't you? Um, what sort of city do you want to try to achieve? <laughs> what do you, how, how do you see a sustainable city? Yeah, like it's a great question. Um, and I think that there's lots of people with lots of different ideas. And I think it just, the direction that we're heading in at the moment um, is run by private corporations for yeah, profit. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> and, and yeah, creating this real divide between mm. um, people who can afford um, to have access to um, the nice things that we all want to access in life or, you know, 
the basic things, <laughs> um, green space and jobs and um, and places to yeah go to school or go if you're sick, um, and then everyone else who has to live far away from these things um, and be reliant mm. on um, private transportation to, to get to them. Um, and and yeah, I think that at the moment yeah we can we need to start having that um, well, yeah shifted mm. away from that and into into a space where we can. Well, yeah. we still seem to seem seem to be in a situation where the developers of various kinds dictate pretty much what happens, and the developers yeah. will either build three three and four bedroom houses freestanding in the in the outer burbs, or they'll build units high density units in the inner burbs. And they, that's what they tell government that they will build, and government says, "Oh, well, that's all right then. That's what we'll have." Uh, and, and neither of those is necessarily what everybody wants, but that's yeah. all—that's pretty much all they're offered. Um, and in the outer burbs, as we were saying, the, the facilities aren't there, um, and often even the basic things like the road network—you know, the roads are old country roads that have now been turned into yeah. city arterials. Uh, which are incredibly, as Kevin was saying, incredibly dangerous, often without the traffic lights and all the things that they should have. So, so you know, it's, it's ex- <laughs> to me, it's extraordinarily, extraordinarily um, badly done what, what we what we what we're turning out, and we it, don't seem to be able to manage anything in between. Yeah, and it's almost like it's it's not planned. It's just this ad hoc, like oh, then we'll do this, and mm. then we'll do that over there, and this over here, mm. and mm. and maybe we can do that too like mm, some other mm, random mm, mm. other thing but it's not there's no coherent kind of story of of mm. where this what the city is doing and where we're going mm, and, mm. and how we can all be a part of that um mm. and we're and destroying I think, yeah, yeah, yeah both sides of politics have have kind of perpetuated this and let this happen and kind of mm. um yeah really yeah got us into this situation <laughs> well i think it's extraordinary how much money we're still spending on big roads in the center of melbourne mm I mean, this should be the area where public transport should be doing much more of the, much more of the transport. Indeed, task. yeah. There's almost nowhere else in the world where we're building <laughs> mega no. toll road freeways right through the middle of That's suburbs. Right. Yeah. <laughs> in fact, in those city. that did yeah. in the past have learned from their mistakes and are trying to Indeed. retrieve it. So, mm. yeah. Yeah. There's heaps of lessons we can learn from out there. <laughs> so, what would be if you had to rewrite the um, infrastructure? Projects priority list. What would you put on there? East West Link number one. You think? <laughs> <laughs> I think that that's um, the tricky thing. That it, it's not about number one, number two, number three. That actually we have so much work to do. That that we, <laughs> it's not one over the other. Um, there's a lot of things to be done in increasing our rail network. In um, in the great stuff that we're we're starting to see happen. That that we've you know got you know the metro tunnel going in. We've got level crossings being removed. Um, there's lots of yeah, work to be done to improve the um, existing system um, and to, yeah, provide, um, you know, rail heavy rail networks and, and light rail networks out into these suburbs that um, are being built or have recently been built and need access to public transport. Um, and and at the bus network, I think Melbournians have a, have a weird relationship with the buses, <laughs> um, but they provide a vital function that... Um, that the city couldn't operate without mm. um, and with solid investment and coordination across all of the network um, could yeah really kind of fill those missing gaps um, and in- improve get people to the train stations and get people to the trams or to their jobs mm. <laughs> mm. Um, 
I was just up in Sydney and you can see how, how different their, their bus system is um, and the mm. way in which their trunk um, bus mm. routes are so heavily frequented and, and that just, yeah, it's a real normal part of life to use the buses there, certainly like in the inner city kind of areas where yeah. I was. <laughs> yeah, frequent's the word there, isn't it? We've said yeah. this program yeah. for ages that people will use public transport if it's frequent. Mm. You don't really need a timetable. You just know yes. it's going to come in two mm. or three minutes mm. or something. Yeah. Exactly. And if it then coordinates with the next form of public transport. Now, yeah, yeah. And we can manage to do that on trams, mm. but we don't seem to do it with buses in Melbourne for some reason. Yeah. The frequency thing seems to... I think it's it's difficult because you have a lot of different private operators doing different mm. things in different parts of Melbourne. So, so coordinating them together requires an extra level of yes um, effort. Um, and um, government's and yeah. been trying to, trying to do that coordination for twenty or thirty years now, but um, they they never seem to quite manage to um, um, <laughs> hit the private operators hard enough <laughs> on the head that to to. Um, to accept that they they've got to be part of a larger network. Yeah. Um, so we, you can still see the vestiges of bus companies that started in the 1920s and things like that. That's a long time ago. Indeed. <laughs> yeah. Well, one of them, in North, Sunshine North, you probably saw a D-decker tour. It's got put off the road recently because right. 16 buses were revealed yeah. to be defective. Yeah. And in fact, they were after they'd been alerted to this earlier, they were actually swapping number plates. <laughs> Oh, God. Um, to put defective buses back on the roads. And um, anyway, they got sprung. But, I mean, it's just, it's quite a serious situation. So you've got to hope that, you know, the, I suppose it comes back to the fact that it, maybe it should all be in public hands. Well, yeah, thing. but the supervision, it's certainly the supervision from the central centre, from the government, of the private operators seems to be pathetic in terms of um, being able to police, police things like, um, you know, f- again, safety and the frequency of the mm. buses and where they're running on time. Uh, all of those things. It seems to be that the, the policing from the central departments is it may as well be non-existent for all, for all it does. Mm. Are the uh, does anyone know if the operators are split along council lines? No, or nothing. Is it nothing as sensible that? as that. No. Yeah, right. Not <laughs> even. <laughs> it's pretty yeah, hodgepodge kind of <laughs> a yeah. bit of a mix of things. How it's yeah. kind of evolved over. I think there was, think there was a no, Eugenia. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Yeah. And um, recent, only a couple of years ago, two or three years ago, or four years ago, Transdev, who were an operator from Sydney, big operator from the private part of Sydney, because the, the central network and central area network in Sydney is under the state government control, mm. but further out it goes private. Oh, okay. And Transdev was, and the buses aren't as yes. flash. Um, Transdev was brought down to um, bring a bit of, bit, bit of uh, snazzy Sydney. Uh, efficiency <laughs> to the buses that run out in the Doncaster area, uh, which has always been a, a big area that's been serviced by, hole, mainly yeah. by buses. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And Transdev's, well, pretty much turned out, in my opinion, to be no better than any of the others, or and possibly mm-hmm. worse. No, they, were, they were discovered to have, what, what was it? It was well over 100 buses that yeah, were um, the defective, unro- defective. unroadworthy defective. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Must, it must be Melbourne, because you, yeah, well, you, pointed, <laughs> out, you pointed out when... Um, the current mob met took over the, the rail system. Mm. They had a wonderful record in Hong mm-hmm. Kong. You were telling mm-hmm. us so. This could be good, but they seem to just fall mm. into the Melbourne mm. habit. Mm-hmm. Mm. <laughs> and, and I draw the I draw the conclusion that the, the the central government powers that be are the ones that set the tone for the operation. Mm. Yeah, and if, they, it's, and if well, it's not a priority for the government, it's not mm. going to be a priority for the operators. Mm. 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 
Mm. And, and I think that's where that's where citizens come in and in, in saying, well, mm. this is what you know the, the standards that we expect and that we demand, and mm. and if it's not being met, then. But I guess we've become come into this um, difficult situation where either side of politics don't seem to be up to standards. So so where do we mm. go? Because right. neither way it's working. It's well, not well, working either way. Certainly, yeah. um, you know, the, the amount of graffiti on Melbourne buses is extraordinary. And it's you know it's pretty pretty horrific to be driving around in a heavily graffitied mm, bus. Yeah. We're talking about the interior here, not the exterior. Yeah. The interior is heavily graffitied. Um, that, that that is pretty horrible because you end up feeling as if you are you are being subjected to a, you know a ride in a in a French Revolution tumbrel or something like that. <laughs> not so pleasant. No, very nasty. So yeah, there's lots to do. Um, but I, I was recently in Darwin, and I didn't ride their buses, but boy, their buses look shiny and flash and oh, okay. bright and look like they've been cleaned properly every night. Mm. <laughs> it's very impressive. Mm, what are some cities that you guys know where public transport works really well? Well, you think Sydney does a better job? <laughs> well, I think it does like, in so many ways. Yeah, in yeah. many ways. Um, yeah. Although I, their recent train, um, they've had some recent pains yeah. with their trains. Um, mm. And train pains, yeah. <laughs> um, the I guess there's lots of like international kind of examples. Um, and my previous life, I was mostly focused around bikes, um, and so I know lots of cities where they've got pretty incredible bike infrastructure, um, reducing you know the pressure on um, other networks. Copenhagen, um, I imagine, as well. Yeah, yeah, um, but um, yeah, public transport wise, I mean, there's lots of. Yeah, cities like Paris are building like hundreds of kilometres of new metro tunnel network because they know that you know the current system isn't isn't up to scratch. You've got cities like Vancouver um, mm-hmm. has done incredible stuff um, again with a growing population, but not mm-hmm. translating that into more car movements into the city um, by providing yeah public transport and um, active travel kind of options um, and. Yeah, uh, that's probably... Yeah, Vancouver's an interesting one Mm. because it's not nearly as big a city as Melbourne, but it decided that it was not going to go down the freeway route, which in some ways is easier in a small city than a big city. Mm. And so even up to now, they don't have any freeways entering the central, coming even near the central core. And they've been building um, light rail and heavy rail. What's the density like in Vancouver? Uh, Denser than here. Yeah. and they've they've worked on the density, yeah, mm, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's still I mean it's still got some low density areas, mm. but but it's got a, a lot more, you know what what reasonable density in the centre, but not you know hugely high density. Mm. Uh, they've seemed to have struck a better balance. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see what the specifics of their I don't mm. know say political climate is that make it possible in a city like that. Well, and they, they so a, hard here. Yeah, John John Stone mm. at, from Melbourne Uni did a. Yeah. did his PhD on, I think it was his PhD, or might have been a master's on examining um, Vancouver, comparing mm. it to Australian Australian cities, I think. And um, he, he, I think he came to the conclusion, we had him in here talking mm. about it, it they, they seem to have um, the local politics um, went green much earlier than ours, and, they, and the green... The Greens took control of local government mm. to a fair extent, mm. and they were able to beat off the um, the road building, um, you know, big road, road mm. building, and um, build build light rail instead. 
Mm. Is there, as far as I know, there was like quite a big um, kind of like coalition, like alliance of mm. of, of community groups and, and different, yep. Um, yep. yeah, like political, local government kind of players yeah. to, yeah. to that really, yeah, grew and was very strong in, mm. in saying no. And they had, I think yeah. they had to say no to the state yeah. government, to the, the British Columbia state government, yeah. didn't they? I think yeah, they did, yeah. Because they wanted to, to go down the freeway route as well. Yeah, because I, I wonder if there's something about the um, the way that local government is structured in Melbourne with so so many different little fractured off mm-hmm. <laughs> enclaves that make infrastructure harder to yeah. coordinate I mean, it's, it's, and plan. It's, yeah. it's, it's pretty yeah. daunting it? because in Melbourne really uh, at the end of the first sec- second world war we were a public transport city and most places were served by a, by a rail mm. transport mm. of some sort. Okay. Yeah. Then of course the car came along and in that for the next 50 or 60 years effectively we built roads everywhere and no extension of public transport whatever mm. and that's what we need to catch up on. Mm. Yeah. Uh, but we're not doing it now. The road lobby says well, we need to balance it up balance, so you build a road and you build a bit of rail, but we really need to stop building roads altogether other mm. than maintain them for a number of years while we upgrade public transport to give everyone viable options. Mm. Indeed, yeah. yeah. At the moment, if we start saying everyone leave your car at home, like the the public transport that we've got would not be able no. to cope with Crumble, that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and like the whole city would, would really struggle with that. Um, so until we catch up, until we yeah in- increase the options and the choice for people so that they can um, get out of their cars, <laughs> yeah. like that really needs to be mm. yeah brought up to scratch. <laughs> mm. But, uh, you know, l- let's face it, even in cities like London, mm. a lot of people who live in the suburbs and work in the suburbs, even there, drive to work. You know, we, we, yeah, we're not going to get 100% of people. Yeah, and and I think that's also an important point that that there are people that will always need the road. Yes, yes. That you know, we want our emergency services to get to us as quick as possible, and often mm. that means using the road. There are certain occupations that require sure, using the yeah. road. There's accessibility issues that, and um, people with various forms of disability and stuff who who can't necessarily yeah jump on the on the train. Um, so how can we just leave the road network mm. that we've the existing network we've got mm. um, for people that do need it and and give them the space to not be sitting in traffic and causing more pollution and yeah. and all that. Well, once upon a time, I think we used to feel that think that people should be able to work fairly close to where they lived, mm. and that was an assumption of a of a public transport mm. city was that that's what happened. You know, mm. you, you caught the bus to work, but it might only be a few miles, a couple of yeah. miles. And mm. at that time, you had factories and even you know, mills and mm. things in inner urban areas. Like mm. A, mm. You know, I had a, mm. an old uncle died many years ago, but he mm. worked in a mill somewhere in Essendon where mm. he lived. Mm. You know, mm. so those things yeah. are just gone now. Yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah. And then, yeah. The, then the the idea was, oh, you only put um, industry in certain clumps, yeah. but um, you didn't necessarily bother about making sure that was well served by lots of public transport. You assumed there, you know, this is fifty years ago, even that everybody had a car, or close to everybody had a car. And then you had somebody come along like Jeff Kennett who pronounced that Melbourne should be the sort of city where you can live anywhere and work anywhere and you should be able to drive to work easily, however far it is. You know, so he was saying that somehow or other you could have this ideal road-based public transport where you never got into, never got into congestion on the road, yeah. even in peak hour. And, of course, the tollways, when they start to be built, they were sold on that basis too, which, of course, was, well, turned out ad, to be nonsense. There's an, there's an ad on the telly at the moment that shows a couple sitting there quite frustrated in their car. They're just going nowhere in a traffic jam. And the next one, 
there smiling and happy as Larry in the car with no traffic around them, mm. whatever. And this is because we've built the Westgate Tunnel and this yeah. is the Westgate Tunnel. <laughs> yeah. So it's obvious. I mean, you're obviously on the wrong side of this, uh, <laughs> Rachel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think that would be lovely. Yeah. And of course, it would, nev- it would never, yeah. get, never get congested, would it? No. <laughs> And, well, every, and every, everyone loves spending their free time in a car driving from A to B. <laughs> but that has been the mad thing with toll roads, though. You still get charged as much to use the toll road when you're creeping along at 20 mm. kilometres an hour as you do if you're doing 100 kilometres an hour. Yeah. And that's, that really isn't right, is it? No. <laughs> if you're only getting 20 kilometres an hour out of the toll road, yeah, you should be paying a lot less for that ride. Transurban and, think it's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a lot of... Um, um, research coming out now about the 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 people that are often living further away and have to drive in and yes. use those toll roads are often doing so because they can't afford to live closer to where mm. they're working. Mm. Um, and the cost of tolls on mm. on people who are already fina- under financial strain, mm. um, and and sure. and these private corporations who charge huge amount of administration fees and they just add up and add up and add up mm. is causing in, in, mm. immense um, financial strain yeah. on people. The law report was about that a couple of, I don't know if you heard it, a couple of weeks ago, but oh, yeah. people are getting, yeah. you know, people, because of all the administrative costs, etc., people are getting fines of thousands and thousands of dollars they can't possibly pay. Yeah. yeah. And, yep. you know, they're, and mostly, of course, they're people who can't afford it in the first place. Yeah, and then it's, yeah, so it's filling up all our court systems now <laughs> trying to deal yeah. with all of this. Yeah. And yet, you know, the obvious—it's obvious that we we should be able to provide a ride for people to work in the city and the inner areas by public transport, mm-hmm. and that's what that really is. What we should be providing, not trying to provide people journey to work by car in those same areas—it's just completely unviable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet, that's still apparently what we're trying to do with things like the Westgate Tunnel. Indeed. Yeah. 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 And they seem to be able to do it for events that suit them, like with the Grand Prix. They suddenly, public transport mm. is everywhere mm-hmm. and it's all free. Mm-hmm. Well, most of it's free on the day and mm-hmm. people, you know, so we, they can do it if they want to. Yeah. Yes, it's, ma- it's magic the way the, um, the, the, the um, reliability and the um, quality of public transport suddenly increases when there's a special event on and all the, um, all the bureaucrats get out of the offices onto the... Um, Onto the onto the side of the rails and the roads, making sure things work properly. <laughs> <laughs> but they're never there, um, you know. Between those big events, they're always they're never there between eight and nine on a weekday. No, <laughs> Rachel, we're out of time, but just give a plug again for your get on board campaign. Yeah, um, jump online to getonboard.org.au to find out more, um, all the details, and to sign on. As I said, come and get involved. The Sustainable Cities team meet on Monday evenings at 6 o'clock at Friends of the Earth on Smith Street in Collingwood. Um, And you can also follow us on social media. We're on Facebook and our Twitter handle is We Sustain Cities. So we put one of stuff there. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for having me. Rachel, thanks Thanks for coming in. It's been wonderful. Rachel uh, Rachel Linsky is the Sustainable Cities Coordinator at FOE. And uh, thanks to John, thanks to Eugenia, more particularly. Well, Eugenia, you, you thank Gab and Juliet for doing wonderful work keeping yeah, us on here. Thanks, guys. You're doing a wonderful job. <laughs> <laughs> and fun and happy birthday, Kevin. Thank you. It's next week. It's energy. And um, one, among others, we're going to be talking about next week, we're going to be talking about a, a national um, corruption authority. Oh, good one. Good one. Right. Oh.